This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Well, today I'm really excited to have Dr. Barry back. He is a family medicine physician based out of Tennessee. We've had him on before. He was absolutely one of our favorite guests from 2020. And I brought him back because it's the start of a new year. And I just feel like with all things that have gone on in in the world in the past year, that it would really be nice to kind of start fresh and get some perspectives on how to get back on track if you've gotten off track. So welcome this morning. Thanks for carving time out of your busy schedule. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. Did you and your family have a nice holiday season? Yeah, we had a a nice small legal gathering of family and had a really good time. The focus was really more on just hanging out, bonding, catching up. We always try to minimize the gift giving and all that kind of stuff and just really focus on the family over the holidays. And we did that and it was great. Would have been nice to go somewhere over the holidays, but hey, there's always 2021, and we can all just try to forget the year that shall not be named. Yes, no kidding. It's funny, someone on social media posted a meme and it said, I've done the seven day subscription for 2021 and I'd like my money back. And so (laughs) I think, you know, much of the point, you know, 2021 is starting out with a lot of excitement. But one of the things that I thought might be interesting, and for listeners, they may or may not realize this, when we're talking about nutritional dietary guidelines here in the United States. I was doing a little bit of research last night and I found it really interesting that the whole concept of the food guide pyramid really started in 1984. There may be people listening who weren't aware of what was going on in the world in 1984, but I was certainly a teenager and I know Ken was as well. And, you know, thinking about what's kind of evolved from there that we went from this food guide pyramid to my plate in 2011. And then now every five years, the USDA comes out with these new guidelines. And so I thought it might be important to kind of, before we dive into what these new guidelines were, just kind of briefly talk about the influence of the major food and beverage companies on these guidelines, that there's a very close tie in between money and power and politics as it applies to this. And so I was looking at, you know, some of the major food companies and what they spend their ad spend and lobbying money. And so Coca-Cola, $8.6 million per year, the meat industry, which, you know, in and of itself isn't, isn't a bad thing, but $4.58 million a year. But the processed food industry as a whole is over almost $19 million a year spent on lobbying. And you better believe that these companies have largely influenced the guidelines that are available to Americans. And so, you know, there's, especially as we kind of evolve as a, as a nation and we have escalating rates of obesity and we're starting to see diabetes and, you know, fatty liver disease, even in children, and perhaps they made some improvements on the, when I say improvements, small incremental improvements, you know, there's a reduction in added sugars, real focus on children, recognizing that childhood obesity is becoming problematic, but they're still focused on saturated fat being limited and sodium being limited. And then they mentioned, you know, limiting alcohol, which I guess that's a good thing, but what were your thoughts when you saw them? Do you feel like we're kind of scoot? It's maybe taking like one teeny tiny step forward. Yeah, it is a teeny tiny step forward because they did address the issue of added sugar for very young children, which I think is vital to address 
but then proceeded to ignore all the other nutrition issues that are vital for optimal human growth, development, function. And when I say function, I always mean physical and mental function. It's very important. The mental often gets left out. It's obvious from the way the working group was set up, and they actually have now admitted that they were not in charge of their agenda. The USDA was, they set the agenda. And so even if this working group, this committee had wanted to say, hey, let's really look at the low-carb literature, of which there are now hundreds of articles, peer-reviewed articles published, showing the benefits and the advantage to eating a low-carb diet, they couldn't have taken up that subject because their agenda was set in Washington. And they're, I mean, obviously, if they tried to deviate from that, they would have been relieved of duty. And so I think some of the blame does lie with the resting group, with the working group, but ultimately the blame lies further up the chain of command, as often it does, right? There is a huge worldwide movement against eating meat. Mm-hmm. And so you can't really blame the, you know, big meat, if you want to call it that, for spending millions of dollars in lobbying and ads because they're under active literal attack. So you can't really blame them. But when you start wondering why Kellogg's and Kraft and Post and General Mills and Coke and Pepsi, why are they spending all these millions lobbying the federal government if if they know that their product is safe and healthy? And people obviously love it, right? So why would they spend that money unless they'd either discovered in their research or have always known that their product is not safe and is not healthy for human consumption? Ultimately, the actions of any big corporation, it legally has to be to the the shareholders and to the profits and to the stock price. That's what the board of directors work. That's who they work for. That's their boss. And so if just like uh, back in the 90s, when it was obvious, big tobacco, they knew nicotine was habit-forming. They knew that smoking cigarettes cause cancer or increase your risk of developing cancer. They knew this, and they had the research, but they didn't talk about that. Just like they knew that, I suspect that the big food, the billion-dollar multinational corporations that sell us this highly ultra-processed food, I think they know this. I think they already know it's not healthy. It promotes insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia, obesity, fatty liver, type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes. I think their scientists are well aware of this, and I think they probably have the reports. It'd be interesting what a Freedom of Information Act or a, a subpoena might uncover in their documentation. Wouldn't that be interesting? And so if you're a corporation like that, then sure, you're going to spend millions of dollars every year lobbying the federal government saying, hey, let's just not, let's not talk about that. Let's focus on, uh, you know, other things. Absolutely. Well, and I think about a book in particular that I feel like really shifted my perspective as a clinician and human being with sugar, fat, salt. And for anyone that hasn't read that book, it's an expose on the processed food industry. And so there are food scientists that their job is to make the foods as addictive as possible. There's this bliss point, you know, they bring in study groups to determine, you know, at what point do people find the substance, whether it's soda or gosh, some type of new chip, you know, at what point is it truly irresistible? And so you really are at a loss for an ability to not have a desire to continue eating this processed garbage. So I thought that was really very telling. And 
you know, I think that's an excellent book. I've listened to it twice on Audible. It's very good. The author is a little bit behind on the research, but very good book overall. The author really tries to tie the combination of fat and sugar together as, and that is in fact the bliss point. The reason humans crave fat is because there are essential fatty acids we absolutely need, or we'll get sick, we'll suffer, we'll die ultimately. But there are, there is no essential carbohydrate, no essential starch, no essential sugar. And so when we look, and most all the addiction research has been done in rodents, right? Mice and rats, and they can absolutely get rodents addicted to sugar, but also they can get rodents addicted to sweet tastes. And so it can even be non-nutritive sweeteners. It can be saccharin. And the research hasn't been done on the keto or low-carb approved sweeteners, but I suspect that they're just as habit forming because it's actually a evolutionarily passed on crave for sweetness, right? Because we need that sweetness in the fall when the fruit's ripe, ripe and the berries ripe. We need to put on five or 10 pounds of fat so we don't starve to death over the winter. And the big food corporations are taking advantage of that, right? They know that we have an instinctual drive to eat fat because we need fatty acids, And then we have this instinctual drive to seek out sweet tastes so that we can put on weight for the coming winter and don't starve to death. And that way we can continue to propagate species. And so the rodent research is very interesting because never has there been a rodent study done that says, man, look, when you give these rats access to cocaine or to saturated fat from beef tallow or bacon grease or coconut oil or avocado, there's not a single study that shows that you can get rats addicted to fat. Now they love it. They'll eat it, but you cannot get them to the point where they'll push the bacon grease lever more than they push the cocaine lever that I've never seen a study in rodents, but you can absolutely addict a rat to sugar or saccharin, or in my opinion, any sweetener, and they'll wind up pushing the sweet lever more than they push the cocaine lever, right? And so when this author talks about the fat and sugar together, I think it muddies the water because ultimately what you can become addicted to is the sweet taste of any sweetener and highly processed carbohydrates, which the more you process them, the more they just become pure sugar. Right. And so the bliss point is, a. I wish every American knew about the bliss point and the millions of dollars that the big food manufacturers have spent with uh, food scientists, nutrition scientists, biologists, figuring out what's the perfect blend of salt, sugar and fat so that essentially they hack into your biological software and they hack it. They put a basically they put a virus into your code And it just knocks people off the rails and they wind up living on sweets and potato chips and and soda because that that causes a spike in dopamine and maybe even oxytocin because of this wiring that the big food manufacturers have basically hijacked. And I think it's really profoundly powerful for people to understand this biochemical process that happens in our brains, in our bodies is a direct result of the consumption of these highly palatable, highly processed foods. And much to your point, I think that, you know, whether it's keto or the paleo community, you know, people will say, well, I'm going to have monk fruit, or I'm going to have thyrotol, or I'm going to have stevia because it's considered to be clean. And I get that, you know, there's a desire to find a cleaner option 
but you know, a rose by any other rose is still a rose. And so I like to remind people that whether it's a keto fat bomb or, you know, 15 scoops of sugar sweetened almond butter, you know, too much of any one thing is not beneficial. And I think that the key thing when people are looking at macros is satiety. And so with protein and with fat, you can hit the satiety point where you're just, you're full. You're like, I don't want more food because I'm too full, but that never happens with carbohydrates. And that in and of itself is a huge problem. Now, one thing that I've come to realize, you know, after years of working with patients and now, you know, with clients that, you know, weight loss, you know, that's oftentimes the focus at the beginning of a new year. It's like, I'm going to clean up all my bad habits and I'm going to finally get this five, 10, 15, 20 plus pounds off. And so I would imagine that you have gotten quite savvy in this area because of your own, you know, patients' struggles and their own concerns. And so let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about some of the reasons why people can get stuck. And so obviously dietary input is a huge component of it. I would say it all starts with food, but what are some of the other pieces of the puzzle that could be contributing to why men or women are really struggling with losing weight? Well, I mean, we're living through a very trying time. And to pretend that this is the worst time in human history, I think is probably foolish. We've been through some catastrophes Mm -hmm. in our history on this planet. But anytime you're under stress, you're always looking for some release, right? And you're looking for that dopamine hit and that oxytocin hit to make you feel better to make or to make you feel less bad, right? Depending. And so many of the avenues of positive reinforcement have currently been cut off to the majority of humanity. You can't go to a family reunion with, you know, two or 300 of your family members. You can't go to a conference with all your colleagues and your peers. You can't do any of those things. And so I think a lot of people, you're basically stuck in the house and attached to every house is a kitchen. And in every kitchen is a pantry and a fridge. And so eating is absolutely not a bad behavior. And that's one of the many things that people get so confused on. Every time they eat, they beat themselves up. They're like, I'm a glutton. I'm a bad person. I'm weak. Eating is physiologically, that is a normal behavior. That's a good behavior that you should never be ashamed of eating or feel guilty that you ate. It all comes down to what it is that you just consume. That's where it lies. And so knowing from these rodent models that sugar and other sweeteners are just as addictive, at literally just as addictive as cocaine to rodents. And as I maybe I hope I said this earlier, but let me say we have never found an addict a substance that's addictive in rodents that is also not addictive in humans. And so a lot of times the rodent models, they get poo-pooed, right? Because they're like, well, that's a rat. I'm not a rat. I'm a human. And that's a valid argument in some cases. But in this case, we have never found a single substance that rats become addicted and exhibit addictive behavior to that isn't also addictive in human beings, right? And that's alcohol, nicotine, the illicit drugs, and then sugar or sweet taste. And so when people are basically imprisoned from all these other positive outlets that raise your dopamine, raise your oxytocin, you know, being with family, being with friends, hugs and kisses, going to the gym without feeling like you're under house arrest, that sort of thing. You've got a a lot of people find the wrong outlets because you can get that dopamine hit. You can get it from cocaine. 
You can get it from alcohol. You can get it from the other drugs, but you can also get it from sugar and sweet tasting things. I'll make a confession right here on your show. Over the holidays, my wife, Nisha, and our good friend, Melissa, they're both excellent cooks and bakers, and they made lots of keto treats, lots of keto cakes and pies and cookies and fat bombs and nut clusters. And I indulged more than I should. And I'm a, I'll be the first to stand in front of the mirror or stand before the public and say, I am a sugar addict. There is no doubt about that. And even with the keto approved sweeteners, the paleo low carb approved sweeteners, even now, well into January, I'm still, it's still calling to me. I'm like, I wonder if, any, if there's any of those fat bombs left. Is there, are there any of those nut clusters? And so a couple of days ago, Nisha and I had to go through the kitchen, the refrigerator, the pantry, and we threw it all in the garbage. Because if it's in the house and under these conditions, I'm going to eat it. And I'm going to try not to eat it, but I'm ultimately, I'm going to fail and I'm going to eat it. And for me, my weakest time is usually in the evening. And so typically when I'm eating clean for weeks and weeks or months and months at a time, I'm never even hungry in the evening, just not at all. But after just a few days of the low carb keto sweets and treats, oh yeah, last evening I was like, do we have any of that? And she's like, look, you understand this is the monkey on your back talking. I'm like, damn it. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. I'm not really hungry. I'm just craving those sweets. And so I'm going to have to go through a few days of having zero sweetener in my diet, and then it'll be effortless again. Once I break that little addictive cycle that was starting, I was starting to reinforce again Mm -hmm. over the holidays, I'll be fine. And I'll never even give a second thought to eating anything with a, or drinking anything with a sweet taste to it. And that's a really powerful place to be for people who, I mean, currently we feel like we don't really have control over anything in our environment. How many people feel that way? I'm not in control of where I can go, who I can see, who I can talk to, even what I can tweet on social media. I'm antsy. I'm nervous. This is a weird time. So, but there is, you do have 100% absolute control over the food that's in your house and the food that you put in your mouth. And reclaiming that control can actually open up avenues where you can have control over other parts of your life as well. But I think for so many people, the first step is to reclaim your proper human diet, stick to that, enforce that in yourself, and then exemplify that for your loved ones and your friends. That's a powerful step. And that's a step that can open many doors so that people can have power over other parts of their life as well. But it really starts with the basic biological and physiological functions. If you're not in charge of those, so for instance, if you're addicted to alcohol right now during this time, guess what you're doing a lot of? You're drinking every day to try to feel normal because the alcohol has abducted your physiological processes, right? It makes you feel normal, but you know in your intellectual mind, that ain't normal. That's not normal to have to drink every day to feel normal or to have to smoke weed every day or have to snort some powder every day to feel good or to feel normal. You're not in charge. You have no power over that situation. Currently, you're a slave to whatever your addiction is, and that can include sugar and it can include the the other sweeteners for some of us. Just like every biological function, Cynthia, there's a bell curve, right? Some people can smoke crack two or three times and then walk away from it, never touch it again. Other people, if they smoke crack one time, 
that's it. They're addicted. They're hooked. And it's going to take months and months and months to break that addiction. Same goes for alcohol. Same goes for nicotine. There's a bell curve for that. And so you see these lean, healthy, 20-something-year-olds on Twitter yelling at everybody to quit being gluttons and sloths and just walk away, say no to the food, eat less and move more. But they're on the other end of the bell curve where they're not susceptible to this addiction to carbs and to sugar and to sweeteners. And so that's easy for them to say. I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Three or four days of keto sweeteners and I'm my monkey is calling to me again. I think it's important for our listeners to really understand that we are humans. Like, yes, we, you know, are experts in the health and wellness space, but I like to talk about the fact I have teenage boys who do have sweet tooths on occasion and will make a dozen cookies for themselves and eat most of them. I mean, they're both athletic and they're both very healthy, but they on occasion will do that. And so probably between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I probably had two or three days where I had several gluten-free cookies. And I only in the past couple months started weighing myself regularly to stay accountable. I thought, you know, if I'm telling my clients to do this, I should really be doing this myself. And do you know, I gained four pounds. I'm sure it was just from the glycogen stores, four pounds eating cookies. And I'm obviously in my latter forties. So it just goes to show much to your point, Then what was I thinking about every day? Those cookies. I wanted to have more cookies. I needed to make more cookies. I needed to have more cookies. And I finally said to my husband, we can't make cookies anymore. Or if we make cookies, I really have to just pretend I don't see said cookies. That was, there's no moderation for me and a cookie. I don't care how clean it is. I like to eat cookies and I can't moderate my intake. Now, however, much to your point, you know, obviously I'm not going to make chocolate as a comparison to crack, but I could eat a piece of chocolate and be very happy with a piece of chocolate and walk away from it and not eat it excessively. So for anyone who's listening who thinks, oh, you know, this probably doesn't really happen. It does. It even happens to us, but we're so cognizant. And it took me like a week to lose the four pounds. And all I did was just clean up my diet. And I was like amazed at how long it took to lose that four pounds, but four pounds of sugar and inflammation and God knows what else. My body was just like, Oh, and then you're craving more sugar. And so that vicious cycle perpetuates and continues. And I think it's really important to say that depending on where we are in our life. So obviously my teenagers, 20 something, some 30 somethings have a lot more leeway in their dietary indiscretions than you do in middle age and beyond. And that's okay. It's not a criticism. It's just an observation. And so I think it's vitally important for us to be honest with ourselves. And that's really where it starts from. Like, do I have a problem with this substance irrespective of what it is? Yeah, I totally agree. And it sounds like you're on the end of the spectrum where I am, Mm -hmm. where too much sweeteners and Mm -hmm. too much highly processed carbohydrates and you're addicted. And I think that not everyone, but a, a large percentage of adults are in that boat. And really the first thing that has to happen is you have to own up to that and be like, yeah, first of all, it's not fair. I totally agree. It's not fair. It's also not your fault, but it 100% is your problem. And the only way you're ever going to be able to address the problem is to own it and say, and look in the mirror and say, I'm a sugar addict. I'm a sweetaholic and also own up to that to your family and friends and say, look, you got to stop with the cookies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just like to your boys, you're like, I love you. And I know you love cookies and you're able to tolerate it, but you got to keep the damn cookies out of my face. If you're going to make them, you cook them when I'm not home and you keep them in your bedroom or something. I don't know. But, (laughs) you know, I mean, and people get this intuitively if someone is a recovering alcoholic 
they would never offer them a drink. And so I think as the concept of sugar addiction and sweetaholic, I think as that gains traction in society, people will become more respectful of this. But currently, people think, well, if my grandmother made it, it's got to be safe because my grandmother was very wise and she loved me. She would never make something for me that's unhealthy or dangerous or addictive or would make me sick. But the problem is, is your grandmother and your mother were, they were fed the same advertising as you're being fed now. And that's when it really started is with our grandmothers. That's who started seeing all the ads for Crisco, all the ads for Martha White, all the ads for Kellogg's and Post. And so they blindly trusted all these advertisements, just as many of us trust these advertisements. But the time has come. I mean, they're literally is only 12% of the United States population who doesn't have at least one marker of metabolic syndrome. 88% of adults in the United States have at least one marker, if not more, of metabolic syndrome. How is that not a huge rallying cry for people all over this country to go, what the literal hell is going on here? How is it that the majority of us are sick and the federal government doesn't really seem that interested in the obvious root causes of what's causing this? And so, Again, back to my earlier point, that's why Kellogg's and Kraft and Coke and Pepsi spend millions of dollars a year lobbying the federal government so that they can be too busy to really look and say, why is 88% of the U.S. population of adults? Why do they have one marker of metabolic syndrome? That's weird. And that's also, I mean, is that not a national security risk? Is that not a national health crisis? Sure sounds like it to me, but it seems that you and I and people in this space are the only ones ringing the alarm bell. And the only reason that that could possibly be is that the lobbyists and the uh, marketing firms are quite successful and quite good at what they do. One of the most common concerns I see in perimenopause and menopause is hair loss, hair breakage, hair shedding. And knowing that over 80 million Americans are impacted by this is both reassuring, but it's wonderful to know that there are products available that can help with these symptoms. Divi is good for those with hair shedding or thinning due to stress in perimenopause or menopause. They can be helpful for addressing dry scalp. And have you wanted to take control of your hair health but aren't sure where to start? This is where a Divi can be hugely impactful. I love their scalp serum. And we know that the scalp serum improves the appearance of breakage, nourishes our hair follicles, and removes product and oil buildup. There are some key ingredients, including tea tree oil, which works to reduce and prevent excess oil buildup on the scalp, amino acids that help to strengthen hair, fight frizz, which is my greatest concern, and reduce breakage, and copper tripeptide 1, which is a small protein composed of the three amino acids to facilitate a clean and hydrated scalp, as well as hyaluronic acid, which is nourishing and hydrating to our scalps. As I mentioned, Divi is not just for those experiencing hair loss. I found it to be hugely helpful for scalp health and all of Divi's products, including their shampoos and conditioners, come together to create a full daily solution that helps women nourish their hair and get to the root of scalp health. Do you want to take back control of your hair and scalp health and do it with clean science-backed ingredients? Go to DiviOfficial.com slash Cynthia or enter Cynthia at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's D-I-V-I official.com slash Cynthia for 20% off your first order. 
As I mentioned, my favorite product is the scalp serum. And now that we're in the deep throes of winter weather, it is so wonderfully nourishing and moisturizing. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. The indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some circumstances, up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? I want to introduce you to a product by Air Doctor that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that have the potential to go on and make us sick. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day, breathe-easy, money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorbro.com and use code CYNTHIA. You'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 in value. Look at the special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Cynthia. I absolutely love my air filters. They're an integral component to ensuring that the air that my family breathes in our home is as safe as possible. Well, and I think we really have to talk about the fact that a lot of these processed food companies are essentially drug dealers. You know, they are facilitating manufacturing and marketing products to vulnerable populations and, you know, to all Westernized countries. And I just think, you know, for me, it was really enlightening very recently to wear a continuous glucose monitor. And for anyone who is listening, yes, metabolically healthy people, really beneficial. And I'll tell you why in a second. I have been largely, I would say very protein focused. I've done very well with higher protein, moderate fats, carb cycling that has worked for me, no grains, no gluten (laughs) and no dairy for a long time. And that has worked well for me. And I kept trying to figure out, I was like, you know, I'm another year older and maybe I need to tweak things because I've come to find out that what may work for you for six to 12 months may not continue working for you. And what I found out from wearing a continuous glucose monitors, first and foremost, with very few variances, my blood sugar is very well controlled, which is a good thing. However, certain foods that seem very benign because I do carb cycle. And so I was trying different types of carbohydrates. You know, my functional medicine doc said, why don't you try a little bit of grains? Why don't you try a little bit of this? Fine. Plantains, a plantain cooked in coconut oil and sea salt or two tablespoons of rice or, you know, some squash, I mean, spiked my blood sugars. I mean, it was like 150. I mean, I had, I had no numbers like that. And so I think it can be very valuable, even if you just use a glucometer to monitor your blood sugar, to see your own, your N of one. So your one individual's response to specific macronutrients. And for me, I do well, again, I still do well with protein and fats. I actually upped my fat intake because I started to find the one thing that kept my blood sugar really stable with a little, you know, insulin secretion was more fats, a little less protein and very little carbs. And so too much to what we were talking about, 
really determining what works for your body, but also being open-minded to the fact that you may need to change things up. What works for you, you know, what worked for me almost two years ago after coming out of the hospital was full carnivore that wouldn't work for me right now. Yep. I understand. And I think everyone with tweak their diet and play with their diet and experiment like you're doing, I think that's, you're setting an excellent example. And I completely agree with you that CGMs or continuous glucose monitors are such a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. And even for people without diabetes, even for people without prediabetes, and I've actually saw some kickback on Twitter that it's insensitive. If you don't have diabetes, you shouldn't have a CGM. That's just uh, elitist and you're entitled. And this is vital. Everyone's health is important. And I think for each individual person, your personal, mental, and physical health is the most important thing in your life. Because if you're not healthy, you can't really take care of your loved ones and your family. You can't take care of your business if you're not healthy. And it is routine for people, even without diabetes, even without prediabetes, when they wear a CGM, they invariably report back, you know, I mean, my A1C is 5.3. I'm fine. But when I ate that rice or when I ate that corn or when I ate that bread or that pasta, my blood sugar went up to 160 or 180. And this is in people who are not diabetic or not even pre-diabetic. Anytime you eat a food that spikes your blood sugar above 140, especially if you're not a diabetic, that is a huge red flag that what you've essentially done is you've eaten so many carbohydrates in that meal, whatever was in it. And the, the human pancreas is a very powerful organ, very intelligent organ. Desi- I mean, it's just amazing what the human pancreas can do. But you actually overate the ability of your pancreas to control your blood sugar. That is a huge red flag that you ate too many carbohydrates in that meal. And you should not do that because every time your blood sugar spikes over 140, whether you're a diabetic, pre-diabetic or not, you're doing permanent microscopic damage to every tiny artery in your body. The arteries in your eyes, in your brain, in your heart, in your reproductive organs, in your kidneys, you're damaging those tiny arteries and arterioles. Some of that damage is permanent. Indeed, we start, we start to see kidney failure in people who have, are just pre-diabetic. They're not even diabetic yet, but they're starting to have signs of permanent kidney damage. And that's because of all those meals that spike their blood sugar over 140. And so I think the CGM is vital. Every diabetic in the world should have access to a continuous glucose monitor. Anybody diagnosed with prediabetes or even hyperglycemia needs a continuous glucose monitor so that they can use it to tease out which foods spike me over 140. I need to avoid those foods. They are not healthy for me. And if ultimately wearing that CGM and making a list of foods, if that causes you to exclude an entire food group, as they say, then that's not you irrationally excluding an entire food group because you have an eating disorder. That is direct feedback from your pancreas saying, hey, honey, every time you eat the bread and the pasta and the cakes and the pies and cookies, you're doing damage to your body. That's probably bad. You probably shouldn't do that. And so if the CGM uncovers the fact that you should avoid an entire food group, which is bread and grains, then you should do that. You should listen to your pancreas because the human pancreas has been doing this job for a long damn time. 
right? And if it cannot accommodate your blood sugar when you've eaten those things, that is clear black and white physiological evidence that you should not eat them. I think that's important for people to understand. So those that are still metabolically flexible, like my fasting insulin was last 2.1 and my fasting blood sugars are always in the high seventies, low eighties. I'm a healthy weight. I exercise, I sleep well. And I still was stunned. I mean, I literally probably had half a cup of plantains and I probably had three tablespoons of rice, but I thought rice has definitely been one of those things I haven't done well with but so, so important that you find out for yourself. And if you can't afford a CGM and, or your you know, family provider is not willing to write a script, a lot of these companies will let you have one for two weeks for free. And then you can decide for yourself what you want to invest in. I myself continued my subscription with my CGM because I wanted to do more experimentation because now I feel like I'm onto something. I'm like, okay, I may actually have to go lower carb than I have been for a period of time And that's not a bad thing. And it may be that I cycle my carbs and I go in and out of ketosis. But for anyone who's listening, who's curious about that, I think that's a really very, very helpful, beneficial way. If you're looking for weight loss resistance strategies, that would definitely be a top one. What are your thoughts on things like berberine and chromium GTF and some of these supplements that I see, you know, especially on berberine, great data, you know, in terms of comparing that to glucophage or metformin, but are you using this with your patients? Yeah, I think that berberine, chromium, all these things help, right? But the question we're faced with is, am I trying to take berberine and chromium and and cinnamon and curcumin? Am I trying to take those so that I can eat an inappropriate diet? right? And that's a valid question because I think we're uncovering with the CGMs and with the C-peptides, and with the fasting insulins, we're uncovering the fact that there is a spectrum of food that is the proper human diet. And it is a low carbohydrate diet. For some of us, like your teenage boys, it may be under 100 total grams of carbs a day and they do just fine. As you get older, or if you're on the other end of that bell curve and you're very insulin resistant like I am, then it's an even lower carbohydrate diet. But I think the evidence is becoming quite clear that low carb, whether you're talking about low carb paleo, just low carb, keto, ketovore, carnivore, those are all on a proper human diet spectrum. And my definition of a proper human diet is a diet that gives you all of the amino acids and fatty acids and vitamins and minerals that your body needs and is low carb enough so that you don't spike your blood sugar, so that you don't have an elevated C-peptide and so that you don't have an elevated fasting insulin. In that spectrum is a proper human diet for you. Some of us, like your teenage boys, can get away with more carbohydrates. Some of us, like me, I'm 52 now. I have to be as low carb as I can get to keep my weight where I want it, to keep my waistline where I want it, to keep my mental and physical clarity and strength where I want it, and to keep my metabolic physiological markers like A1C, C-peptide, and fasting insulin, and my CGM readings. If I want to keep all those things at optimal levels, I have to be almost zero carb. And I don't think everybody needs to be that, but I think everybody needs to know where they currently fall on the proper human diet spectrum because no one, no human on the planet is it healthy 
for you to eat a bowl of Special K with skim milk and drink a glass of orange juice and have two pieces of whole wheat toast. Like dessert, 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 dessert. That is not the proper human diet. That will invariably spike your insulin, your blood sugar, your levels of inflammation. It will store fat inside your abdomen, in your liver, and even in your pancreas. That is not part of the proper human diet. Is it fine to have it as an occasional treat on your birthday and anniversary and Christmas? Sure. Just like it's okay to have a couple of mixed drinks on your birthday and Christmas and anniversary. But that it does not mean since you drank, you had two drinks over your birthday and you didn't die, that doesn't mean, okay, I'll just have two drinks every day. That would be dumb. And it's dumb to eat these foods, these highly ultra-processed frankenfoods, fake foods, that the big corporations try to sell us because they make a thousand percent markup profit on them, that is not part of a proper human diet. And they always ultimately lead to chronic disease, suffering, inflammation, and ultimately an early death. You know, it's interesting. I started watching a series that I've watched before. I trained in Baltimore. And so I have an affinity for Baltimore and and the series is called The Wire. I've watched it more than once. Usually every couple of years, I get kind of reminiscent, think back to my Baltimore days. And one of the things that it really impressed upon me as I'm watching the series is, you know, the disparities that we have in terms of people that live in the inner city who don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And it may be that their corner grocery store is all they have. And so for anyone that's listening that is in a position where they just don't have as much access to fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that, what would your suggestions be for them? It really is in a means to saying like, you know, good, better, best. That's always kind of my mentality. Like if you're out to dinner, you know, let's think pre-COVID, we're out to dinner and you can go anywhere you want and you're traveling and, you know, maybe you splurge on something, but, you know, trying to find the best option that's available for you at that time. So for people that are you know, it more have less flexibility, aren't able, don't own a car, can't just, you know, get go, you know, to a farmer's market. They just don't have as much access to uh, healthier choices. How do you help people kind of navigate those circumstances? Well, I can tell you what I would do. If I were stuck in the inner city, which I was before, I trained for seven years in Memphis. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs 
in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water and you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. With five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today risk free. They have a 365 day full money back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. And I was, I lived downtown Memphis in the dorms and then in an apartment. And it's true. It's kind of a food desert. Now it's changed some now, but back then you had to drive 20, 25, 30 minutes to get to a grocery of any size, of any meaning, right? But there's a convenience store on every corner. And so if I were stuck in that situation, I would live on meat. I would live on hot dogs. I would live on bologna. I would live on potted meat, spam. That's what I would live on because that would be the only way. Beef jerky, that's the only way I could live on a proper human diet that kept me as healthy as possible without becoming metabolically sicker, right? So that's what I would do if I were stuck in that. I would just live on the cheap meat and hopefully I could get some ground beef somewhere or some minced beef and I would just, I would live on that. And that's what I would do until I could do better because there's actually, it's very inexpensive to do that. It costs the same. You can buy, you know, a a can of Spam or a big family size bag of Doritos. They're about the same price. And so I would just, I would live on Spam and hot dogs and bologna until I could do better. I think that's really helpful because one of the things I learned, I had Rob Wolf on a few months ago and his podcast episode just dropped. And, you know, he just wrote the amazing book, Sacred Cow. And one of the things that he and I were kind of chuckling about was that, you know, the analysis of grass-fed beef versus 
feedlot beef, there was not a ton of difference beyond the omega-3, omega-6 balance. And so for anyone who's listening, who's saying, oh, there's no way. No, no, really, you could get ground meat in like a corner grocery store that may not be grass fed, that is going to be superior than you know, eating that bag of Doritos and the can of Coke and whatever frosted flakes or whatever garbage looks more tantalizing, but you're going to get more value out of the animal protein than you are out of a lot of these highly processed foods. Now I'm curious, you know, what your position is when people are looking to kind of change their lifestyle, lose weight, what's your position on sleep and stress? Because I find that these are two areas where a lot of people don't put a lot of emphasis, but yet they're so critically important. Yeah, they are very important. But here's the problem if you talk about that kind of stuff too much. Do I think that getting adequate sleep is more important than eating a proper human diet? No. Do I think exercising is more important than eating a proper human diet? No. Do I think that, you know, having sex and other good, natural, normal, physiological things are better than eating a proper human diet? No. Have human beings been under some kind of stress our entire existence on this planet? Yes. Is meditating and taking hot and cold showers, is that more important than eating a proper human diet? No. Do they matter? Yes. But I think that you start, you're getting off because I love to focus people on the 80%. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to get 80% of your benefit from? And that is your diet. It ain't exercise. It ain't sleep. It ain't, you know, taking hot and cold shower. None of that stuff is in the 80%. Those are 10% factors at best, but in many cases, they're one or 2% factors. Does that make sense? Because if you talk too much about sleep, then all of a sudden we've got this huge industry springing up with all these sleep supplements, (laughs) right? And people think, well, sleep is important. I heard Cynthia say that. So I'm going to buy this, you know, all these sleep supplements so I can sleep better. And they ignore their diet. And so you're over here piddling around with the 1% and 2% improvements you can get with good sleep, which is absolutely real. And you're ignoring the 80% improvement you can get from eating a proper human diet. I think sleep's very important. I've got YouTube videos about it. I think stress control is very important. I've got YouTube videos about it. All that stuff is important, but never ever take your eye off what's gonna give you 80% of your metabolic benefit. And that is eating a proper human diet spectrum. I actually love that because my mantra is it all starts with food. So that's very consistent. Although it's interesting that a lot of people assume that if they just, so the 80% is the food piece without question, but people, when they're stuck and they're in these weight loss stalls, sometimes I feel like it's like peeling another layer of the onion back. It's like, okay, let's look a little more closely. Do you sleep at all? And I'm oftentimes surprised that people will get by in four or five hours of sleep or their stress is out of control. And let's be honest, in the midst of a pandemic, there are people that are dealing with, you know, stressors that you and I, you know, we're, we're not dealing with. So I always say, you know, try to mitigate as much as you can, but I do agree with you that it all starts with food. Well, what are you doing next? What are you diving into in 2021 business-wise? What focus are you working on? Well, I'm headed to Costa Rica in late February. I'm working on a television series called Reversed, which is about using your diet and a little exercise and a little sleep and a little stress reduction to reverse type 2 diabetes. And I'm working on my second book, which is tentatively titled The Proper Human Diet. As you can tell, I think that's very important. 
And I'm going to continue to make at least two or three new YouTube videos every week. I'm going to keep uh, hammering big food corporations on Twitter. I'm going to keep posting useful and helpful and loving posts on Facebook and on Instagram. I actually have accounts on almost all social media because as we all are now aware, First Amendment protections do not apply to social media. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to be as diverse as I can. And so if if you're on another social media and you're like, hey, I wonder if Dr. Barry's there, you should check and follow me because I probably am. Well, I'm so excited for what is to come for you and your business and your family in 2021. It's been a pleasure as always to connect with you. What's the easiest way for individuals to connect with you. Your YouTube channel is fantastic. There's so much great content there, but as you mentioned, you're all over social media, but I I especially enjoy your, you know, your Facebook videos will pop up with you and your beautiful wife. And on Twitter, you're very active. And as you said, you're definitely hammering the processed food industry, which is what we all should be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody just wants to follow along uh, this journey, this rediscovery of the proper human diet that my wife, Nisha, and I are on. We do a Facebook Live every Monday night at 7 p.m. We're live on Facebook and on uh, YouTube and on Periscope, so Twitter, every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And then I'm constantly making new YouTube videos. I wish everybody would come over to Twitter and help me, you know, pull the curtain back and reveal just what it is that Coke and Pepsi and Kellogg's and Kraft and Mondelez and all these other multi-billion dollar multinational food corporations are up to because so many people out there don't know. So many young parents think that giving their infant goldfish crackers is a loving, nutritious thing to do. They don't know better. They think that giving them a juicy juice to sip on or even an orange juice to sip on and God forbid a Pepsi or a Coke, they think that's so that's okay. It's on television. They wouldn't be allowed to advertise it if it were dangerous or bad, right? No, it is bad. And we need to start calling it what it is. And we need to start educating young parents and other people who are in charge of the care and feeding of young infant humans, because that's when the metabolic damage starts. For for many humans, is when they're two and three years of age, that's when their metabolic damage starts. And that's why we see this epidemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes in young children. It's not because our genetics have changed. We're still the same homo sapiens sapien we've always been. But when you poison these children with too many carbohydrates, too much sugar, too much fructose, too many inflammatory causing chemicals, they get sick. And that's a huge red flag that you should not give them that. Absolutely. Well, we'll continue the good fight. And as always, I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure to connect again. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.